It is Locked on Jazz for the 30th of August. The mental health discussion and the problems that in lie with someone coming out about any of their personal issues. Plus, we'll talk with Thurl Bailey in part two of the summer interview series. It's all coming up on Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky little numbers on the Utah Jazz, and you can get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you're having a great summer. We're probably kids are back at school. It feels a little less like summer. Fall is coming as we uh, rev up. Uh, Locked on Jazz Facebook group continues to be great. Uh, Two interesting posts just went up uh, today. One of them uh, from Jimmy Winskowski, who's been very active about who he thinks the point guard will, the poll question of who the uh, point guard will be in three years. And then Thatcher Olson asked the question uh, that I think is a... Uh, very important one is Jay Crowder last year with the Jazz, 39% from the field, 32 from three, and yet such a positive impact. What is the possibility of what he could do in the offseason? Remember, Jay's offseason a year ago, Jay was coming off a trade which broke his heart and his mother passed. And if you look at some of Jay's numbers from a year ago, you know, quite honestly, they just look like a player that either wasn't entirely in shape or, or wasn't entirely uh, right physically, or a player, frankly, at 28 years old who has lost it. I, I don't know that I think that's uh, the case with Jay, but you know what? You have to be honest that when you – some of the number, the, the dunk numbers that are way down, uh, the rebounding numbers that are way down, those are all lift issues. And when an NBA player loses his lift, that's often um, you know a, a little bit of a scary issue. His rim finishing, which had been uh, – in Boston, 70 and 74% slipped to 66% and was down to 63% in Utah. His dunk numbers, which were 13, 19, 13, were three, none of them in Cleveland, three of them in Utah. Uh, his amount of times finishing at the rim uh, went from uh, went to 22%, which is actually a little below his career average, not too bad, and his rebounding percentages um which were not 10%, 9%, 10% the previous years, was down at 7%. So those are all signs that, you know, that the lift wasn't quite there. Hopefully that's a case uh, in, in the case of of uh, Jay that was, you know, just a tough offseason, didn't get quite right, didn't understand his bearings, um, and we'll see a different aspect of him uh, this year. Jackie, uh, today's show, by the way, is brought to you by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate and also by Murdoch Chevy. I do want to welcome eight new members into the Locked on Jazz podcast today or podcast group. Um, 
Uh, Gorka Garcia from Spain, who joined ever since uh, became a jazz fan when Ricky Rubio became a jazz fan. Jonathan Schroeder up at Utah State. Kristen Dotson, yes, there are women that join the group as well. Uh, Darren Russell, welcome aboard. Michael Allen, glad to have you as well. Bradley Bowman from Leighton, Utah. Russell Lassen from Kaysville, Utah. And Cameron Foster from Burley, Idaho. Welcome to the Locked On Jazz Facebook group. Glad to have you aboard and love that discussion. Uh, there's Jackie McMullen, the great Jackie McMullen, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, over at ESPN, did a piece on mental health. And it's what is this is a major issue inside life and particularly sports. Um, I've talked a lot about the impact I think that social network is having on these players. I think it's why they're so angry all the time that every time they finish a game, they've got a bunch of yahoos telling them how crappy they are. And I think it's adding to a level of stress and making games less fun um, and making their enjoyment uh, of the game less. Uh, so that was part of the story. I've talked about that a lot. Um, this story by Jackie McMullen is really great. And if you haven't read it, the here's the here's the f- problem that in lies in all this. So the players that have come out to talk about it, uh, one of them, uh, was Marcus Morris, which is great. Like, he's actually fairly – that's pretty cool. Uh, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan have both signed $100 million contracts. Now Love has signed a second one. And both are established all-star players. And it is awesome that they've come forward and spoken. I'm not saying anything less about that. But let's walk this process back – and I can't really figure out when I did this show of which order to do this. But, all right, so if you are a five-year NBA veteran who hasn't gotten paid yet and you're having mental health issues, it ideally would be great if you could come forward, talk about it. But even not publicly, how about privately? The problem in lies that none of the surrounding forces around you want you to come out and talk about this. So the player might be having all sorts of major anxiety issues, mental health, very serious. But the family around him, which probably would be the first one, is no different than the player. They're worried about him getting paid. The agent is most certainly worried about getting him paid. And the team, which probably would like to help him and is willing to come forward, if they get any resistance has no ground to stand on if the agent gives them resistance, if the family gives them resistance, if the player gives any resistance, because the team knows, then there's not a lot the team can do. And then, frankly, in all honesty, at some point in time, the team doesn't want you wanted out either because they probably at this point want to trade the player. right? Like, So if you've got a player that's got mental health issues that are prohibiting them from being successful, now the easy answer would be that well, if you address your mental health issues, you'll be a better player, you'll make more money. That that feels right. I think the fact is that these guys we're dealing with are such incredible world-class athletes that they're actually able to be stunningly functional despite dealing with this. That's And that's maybe one of the biggest issues in mental health is that so often we think about it as just purely debilitating. What about when it's only sort of debilitating or only, and yet it just continues to angst itself up? So the five-year veteran's probably not going to talk about that, who's on his second contract or six-year veteran. The rookie 
has no standing in the league, trying to establish themselves. Same issues involved there. Probably don't feel the security individually to come forward at all. Family probably is not as willing to be a part of it if they're, you know, all of it, everyone's looking for their lives to change. Agent has got to be a little careful about this as well. And same thing with team. Team probably at this point with a rookie is trying to address it behind the scenes, see how successful, helpful they can be, might be more receptive than the five- or six-year player who's one year away from free agency. The problem with the one-and-done situation, if we're dealing with an NBA athlete, is there's absolutely no way a college is dealing with it in the one year in which a player is in college. Like, why? I mean, if we're talking about something that's so debilitating, sure, you have no choice. But if you're talking about very real issues that Kevin Love, a panic attack, DeMar DeRozan's talking about, anxiety, the, the, the college has got you for seven months not going to say anything. And again, players probably unlikely to say anything. Like, a player, could you, we have yet to have the player who steps away and says, I need six months. I need six months to go through therapy, get things straight, and come back out of it. I don't know where in this process a player could ever do that. Frankly, if DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Love did that right now, I'm not sure how people would react. A $100 million contract, we need wins. Again, the player who's a year away from free agency is not about to do that. The rookie's not about to do that. And in the collegiate world, they're certainly not going to do that with a one and done. The problem with this is this continues all the way the through the process. Let's go back to when the kid's 13 and the best 13-year-old around. At some point, all of these same factors are working against someone addressing the issue. And if you think about it now, flip this table, kids in ninth grader, there's a level that I think at the early stages of the eighth and ninth grader, you've got a kid that's so proficient in one area, so they couldn't possibly be having these other issues. Like that's probably the biggest hurdle we have to get over is that having some mental health issues does not exclude you from proficiency. And so now when you suddenly are driving this train and you're in your eighth and ninth, and maybe you've gotten selected to the new USA basketball where you're one of the 20 kids in the country of your grade, who's going to stop that train, right? Everyone's on that train, right? There might not be an agent quite yet, but there's an AAU coach who sees that as his money train. There's a family that's probably now excited about it. It would take, an awful lot for a family at any level in here to step in, stop the stop the performance to address a mental health issue, not necessarily saying they have to be stopped simultaneously, but maybe they do. That's that's a big ask, and it's a bigger ask. I mean, I think one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got about parenting was make sure you evaluate your children the way you would evaluate everyone else's. You know, if your kid's doing, if you suddenly, your kid's doing six things that if the neighbor's kid was doing, you'd be saying, oh, he's doing drugs. Like, then your kid's doing drugs, even though it's your kid, because none of us evaluate our own kid. And so there's a level of self-denial with your own child. It's really interesting. And I mean, and then you get to the Bruce Bowen comments in the Jackie McMullen pieces of that, you know, a little bit, you're ra- he says, we're raised not to trust anyone. So now you have all these outside forces and you're raised, 
you know, not to trust anyone. But Bowen says in the African-American culture, there's a tendency to believe if we hide our problems, we're better off. We are brought up to believe if you talk to people about these things, it's a sign of weakness. But it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of courage because you're taking the first step towards conquering your problems. Bruce Bowen's exactly right. I think that's exactly true in the African-American community. I don't think it's exclusive to the African-American community. It may be more. I, I couldn't speak to this. It may be more prevalent. I don't know. But it's not exclusive to that. So anyway, I just think that whole angle on this mental health is that the bigger problem is from age 11, 12, 13, until you have your $100 million contract, the window by which you actually reveal that you're dealing with these issues and don't feel as though there's going to be some negative kickback or, frankly, have the people around you. You may need help to come forward. You may need support to come forward and to get that support. I think it's incredibly difficult. So deep thought for you this morning. Thurl Bailey joins us coming up next, talking all sorts of fun jazz things, looking at how good this season is. We talk about Dante. We talk about some of the other Alec Burks. We break through uh, various players. If you're an NFL fan, make sure you grab the new Locked On NFL on your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. We have a great lineup. Monday's the biggest stories, local experts, like we do on Locked on NBA. And then Tuesday, Sage Rosenfels. Wednesday, Mike Renner. And Thursday, Mike Sando. Bigger news for you if you're an NBA fan. Kevin Pelton on today's edition of Locked on NBA, talking all the predictions and everything else. Uh, today's show is brought to you in part by Devin Cash of Equity Real Estate. Devin has been with us from the very beginning and is true to his word. When I first met him, the first thing he wrote to me was, I really approach real estate with the heart of a teacher. I never want my clients to feel uncomfortable with any situation. I love working with first-time home buyers because I can guide them through the process start to finish. And that has been so true. Charity and Ryan were the first who said, we're so happy that Devin was our realtor, both in purchasing our new home and selling our old home. Devin's knowledge and experience helped reduce the worry and sometimes stressful situation. And his tireless hard work and kindness in every interaction made us feel supported along the way. Zach Campbell said the same thing when he moved from Hilo, Hawaii to Bountiful, Utah. Tim and Whitney McKee said the same thing. Kyle Diener. It's been great. He's basically become the realtor of Locked on Jazz and done amazing work. 801-759-1495. Devin wants you to know two things. One, he used to give you two Jazz free season tickets when you bought or sell, sold a home, but there aren't um, season tickets available, so he'll do the equivalent uh, with the percentage of his commission. He'll also give you a free market analysis to help determine your home's value, and he says that I think you'd be really surprised on what you can do to get into a new house if you have never been into a house before. So three things. He'll take care of you on the Jazz season tickets. If you have a house, let him do a free market analysis so you can determine where your value is. And three, if you're getting into the market for the first time, Devin says that there's a lot of ignorance out there on what you actually need, and he can help you out. 801-759-1495. That's 801-759-1495. So, Big T, when we wrapped up yesterday's edition of the show, and thanks for being part of the summer interview series, you talked about the camaraderie. The Jazz are doing something interesting here. They're bringing the whole gang back. Take me into a locker. You did this a few times in your career. In your first seven years with Utah, there's not a lot of changes, but players change in the offseason. I'm not trying to hammer him, but Rodney Hood is a perfectly good example. The the pressure uh, that mounted on him and the roles and the changes and the people talking to him, he was a totally different person last year than he was in the previous years with us. We just watched a change. What happens in the offseason to players, and can groups really just come back together? Well, I believe there's something to that. I, mean, I, I think maybe not a total anomaly, but I think that's just something that doesn't, 
happen quite often in this league because everybody's trying to chase that ring at some level or another. Everybody's trying to be Golden State and Houston. Um, you know, in the earlier days, everybody's trying to, to be Cleveland. So uh, I, I think when you, you talk about Rodney Hood, and I, I actually I loved Rodney Hood. Uh, I loved him as a person. And I thought that a lot of what he went through was self-inflicted. Um, I think when, in my opinion, when Gordon Hayward left, I think all of a sudden, um, I don't know what was talked about in, in those meetings with Rodney, but I know that part of it was that he was going to have more responsibility on the team. He was going to be expected to take it up a notch um, on both ends of the court. But specifically, you've got to be able to score in this league. And Rodney had shown that on certain nights, man, he could light that thing up. But I think, you know, internally as a player, you, you can't take on that much pressure. You have to let the game come to you. And I think Rodney, and some nights, tried to go out and be what he really wasn't um, and, and, and not be patient enough to kind of play off the ball and let the game come to him. He wasn't a, not really a shot creator in my eyes. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, those, those kind of things happen. And, and I think uh, when you look at this Jazz team, when you bring everybody back, that's saying something. Especially you bring everybody back and nobody's worried about their contract situation. Uh, you know, they're going to be re-signed. Or, uh, so everybody knows what they're coming back to. They know the philosophy. They know what happened last year. And they're really banking on the potential of, man, look what happened last year. What can we do this year together with this team? Uh, now, the risk in that is a lot of teams change. They try, try to get better. They try to bring guys on. But I think you're coming in with an advantage. You're coming in with all everybody who knows the system. Uh, you know, Grayson Allen's had a chance to really understand what's going to be expected of him. But uh, I, it, I think it's a real advantage to have uh, those guys back into a system that they're used to with the only fa- unknown factor being the health factor. Shortened training camp across the board, shortened preseason. Do you, does this continuity give the Jazz an advantage? I believe it does. I believe it does because you know, I don't really see Coach Quinn Snyder putting anything, you know, brand new for these guys to try to, to learn. I think there's some things that, that, will always be part of that philosophy, especially on the defensive end, where even if you're not shooting well offensively, you've got to be able to play defense to have a chance to, to be in games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with with everything shortening now, that bugs me a little bit too, but uh, I think, <laughs> I think uh, you know, it's more cause for guys to come in out of shape and more injuries to happen, but... Um, I think this Jazz team will be ready. I think it is an advantage, D. Donovan Mitchell, year two, what do you think you're going to see? Well, I, I think uh, we're going to see more of what we saw last year, except uh, a young man who's matured in a year and understands uh, what he needs to do to to not overdo it. I guess that might that, that's the best thing that comes to my mind right now. Um, rely on his teammates a little bit more, become 
maybe a little bit better uh, in-game situations at uh, maybe finding teammates. Because here's the point, the, the truth is that you're a target now. You've gone through a year. You're the, you're the top of the scouting report, uh, especially on the offensive end. And it's not going to come as, as easy, and maybe it wasn't that easy for him, but it's not going to come as easy as it looked to us uh, this coming year because you know he's a very respectable player. He's one of the reasons why we got the Christmas game because you know the nation knows now, the NBA uh, fans know that we've got a gym in Donovan Mitchell. So uh, I think that everything that he did last year is just going to come a little bit more polished. His decision-making probably is going hopefully to be the biggest uh, positive that we see coming into this year. How do you think – so he had bad nights last year. And we just yep. said, and, and and quite a few, like we've forgotten about him, and he was incredible. Um, and we just said, oh, he's a rookie, it's all right. Like, right? Like, yeah. he, he just, that's and that's totally fine. And, like, he got his hugs from, you know, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook after games and stuff. And, like, I don't think he's getting those hugs from him anymore. And then I'm really curious to see how he deals with a bad night now. Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I still think he's going to get some hugs, though. All right. Um, but I, I think even with bad nights, look how many great nights he had. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, you, you look at some of the things that just shocked you. Uh, and and the bad nights are you know, obviously something that, that he's going to have again. But the more you can mitigate those and the more the team wins and and a bad night for Donovan doesn't necessarily mean, you know, uh, you know, he's only got single digit points. Well, you know, he had double digit assists. He had some great moments. He shared the ball. He took care of, you know, Joe Ingles had, you know, 28. And that a lot of that was because they were focusing so much on Donovan Mitchell. So I think it's, really incumbent upon him not to put a lot of pressure on himself, but, you know, go out and play with his, his instincts. I mean, we, we, we saw something incredible last year. I mean, it was just amazing to watch this young man go out and perform and do his job. Um, it's not going to be as easy this year. Uh, there's some nights he's going he's gonna to struggle. There's some nights he's going to have to make some decisions that, listen, uh, you know, my shot's not falling. I got I to gotta get to a point where I can, you know, put somebody else in a position to be able to, to to score. Does he have enough around him? Yeah, he does. I think he does. I think uh, some of that will depend on you know, Grayson Allen's role because I think the Jazz are in need of another scorer, uh, not necessarily the type of scorer that Donovan is, but somebody you can rely rely on night in, night out. To, to get your baskets in different ways. And so I don't know if Grayson is 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 that guy this year. I think he can be, depending on what, how his progress is with this team and how much um, you know how how much responsibility he gets. But you look at guys like Royce O'Neal who who I think surprised a lot of people last year and came in and did dutiful work on both ends of the court. He's Thurl Bailey. We'll talk a little bit more about Grayson Allen 
a, a forgotten guy and see what Thurl thinks of him. And then the big question, how good can this team be when we wrap up with Thurl Bailey next as we continue the summer interview series on Locked on Jazz? More with Thurl Bailey coming up. Remember Kevin Pelton on Locked on NBA running through all of the NBA stuff next week. We'll have Pelton on Locked on Jazz for you. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. Murdoch Chevy located up in Woods Cross right off the freeway. Also uh, up in Logan. I am currently driving the Equinox, getting a little insight on the SUV lineup that exists on the uh, Chevy line. I've talked to you so much about the Colorado truck, which I absolutely adored. The Silverado, which is just the poshest of all uh, trucks. And now driving their Equinox. And the Equinox and the whole lineup, uh, we, you know the top of the line. The top of the line's the incredible Tahoe and the Suburban. Then you get down to the Traverse and the Equinox. I don't think those are as well known. They've got every bell and whistle you could imagine. I'm driving the 1.5 turbo double cam motor. It's quick. Great torque coming up the canyon. Definitely gets me enough power. Had a little moment the other day where I needed to hit it and uh, was able to with 170 horsepower. Quiet, very quiet car, better fuel economy than the competitors, and a higher safety rating, um, actually, even, I think, than the Suburban. Uh, really incredible what they've done. The Traverse has every bell and whistle and the third row seat. So if you want the big, you know, assault vehicle SUVs, you've got the Tahoe and the Suburban. And then if you want to come down a size, take a look at the Traverse and the Equinox. I think you'll be uh, very impressed. That's all at Murdoch Chevy out in Woods Cross, as well as Logan. They're wrapping up their August sale, which was free oil changes for life, free brakes for life as well. That's all at Murdoch Chevy. So you just mentioned Grayson Allen a moment or two ago. What is your thoughts on the on the four year Duke product and his evolution into the NBA? Well, I remember a conversation I had with a guy who was with me at his pre draft workout. He looked something like you. <laughs> and at the end of the <laughs> and at the end of the workout, we looked at each other and basically said, um, "You know, who's who stood out more than anybody else." Remember that moment? Yeah, I mean, he was better than he was better than all the other guys out there. He was, he was, and uh, I did an interview on the radio that day, uh, and uh, David James asked me what I saw and who stood out, and it was it was definitely Grayson Allen. I didn't, even after watching him so much in college, I really didn't understand what a what a really good athlete he was until that pre-draft workout um his decision making his athleticism uh, he came up to I, I believe both of us and said hello and was cordial and th- you know those kind of things are, are really good for us to see uh when we were making our evaluations but um i i think he's going to do well i think he'll do really well i think he's in a place where he's getting an opportunity to do really well and so uh, there's no question that he can play. When you um, look at his college career, the last two years he played with two bigs on the floor, right? So, I mean, you had Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, who both got drafted in the top ten. And the year prior, yep. there were two bigs. Now that the floor spreads, how does he learn how to use that athleticism in an open floor in the NBA? Well, first of all, I don't think it's going to be tough for him. Uh, I think his – his basketball IQ, not just because he played for Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, but I think he's a smart player. Uh, his role changed, I believe, 
probably all four years he was at Duke, he had to play a different role. He had to play some point at times. Uh, you know, he played the wing. Uh, he had to be a facilitator. So I, I don't think it's going to be a tough adjustment in this system. I think that when you look at the NBA today and you look at teams who may be very close to a college system, it's the Jazz. Jazz are one of those teams. Uh, so I think his IQ and and, uh, and his sense of the game will fall in line with, with what Quinn Snyder wants him to be able to do. So I don't think the adjustment's going to be that steep for him. I think uh, what will be probably a learning curve for him is having to do it night after night and having to guard some great players uh, in this league and, you know, getting burned on a few and trying to learn, you know, for the next time around. But uh, I think he could be a, a very good fit, not just offensively, but a very good fit on the defensive end, just with his toughness and, and channeling uh, that grittiness that we, we, uh, we saw probably get a little bit uh, away from him in college. Let's run through just a few guys because I think there'll be some interesting things. So what is your uh, Dante Exum? I mean, I, feel, I, I joked all offseason that if I had been in the Jazz front office, every time Dante's name come up, came up, I would have run out of the room. I, st- I, like, I, don't, I still have no idea. Like, um, like, I just don't know, right? Like, we've had him for four years, and I still don't, I don't really know what, like, I have, if you were to ask I me. I think you what, have a sense. Well, I know what you he does well. I don't know what I think he can add. I just don't know what he can add. And I only because I just I don't know. Like I know he he's long, fast, speed, incredible defensive player if he wants to be. Um, but then, like, what's fair to think's next? Like I have I I don't even know what ballpark I put that in. And therein lies the answer. You don't know. Um, I think we've seen enough though, and and through no fault of his own. I mean, come on, let's, let's be real. Through no fault of his own, the guy has been injured and really hasn't had a chance to show us uh, on a broad spectrum throughout a, a long VA, NBA season what he's capable of. But I, I think when you're talking about Dante Exum in that room, you're saying that. I mean, we, we don't know what he can give us over this period of time. We've seen flashes of it. We've seen that first step. We've seen him maybe be a more improved uh, jump shooter at, at, at certain flashes in his career. Let's give him another shot. Let's, let's, let's see what we can get out of him. This might be his year. I mean, that, that position obviously is, is a critical position for any team, that point guard position. They have a long, lanky guy like that who, you know, is a high draft pick. I mean, maybe there's a certain time. I mean, other teams have had that issue, and certain times you have to say, "Well, we got we got to bite the bullet on this one, guys, and and let them go somewhere else. We'll give it up." Uh, and obviously, it's not Dante's time yet. I think, I think that uh, it was a good choice because I I I think this year, I, mean, I hate to see him be somewhere else, and all of a sudden the kid breaks out. Yeah, but the other end of that spectrum is he goes somewhere else and doesn't do anything. So obviously there's always that risk involved in making that decision. But uh, we're all hoping, D, there's no crystal ball. We're hoping that that this is the year. Alec Burks, in a weird yeah. way, is the game moving his direction? Switching, suddenly got to just beat your guy. What 
Is there a chance that this is the guy that, at you know, if we talk at the All Star break, who we feel very differently about than we did when the season started? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always that possibility, but I, in a way, I put him in in almost uh, the same category as Dante Exum. Um, I think he's so talented. I think he's very, very talented. I think uh, he's the kind of guy that he'll tell you, and not in a in a bragging way, but he'll tell you, and you you can understand how confident he is when he gets out on the court. But um, you know, it's been unfortunate for him, not just with injuries, but with minutes on the court. Uh, and for a lot of players in this league, you would you would look at them and you would know that they're pissed. You would look at you would you would hear about it. We haven't heard that from him. Um, and I think that if given an opportunity, he's been through a roller coaster ride with this team, but if given a consistent opportunity. He'll be able to really do well. Now, a lot of that, too, is obviously incumbent upon him not to try to get it all back, you know, in one game or two. Uh, I think sometimes we we see him come out there, and I know he has, you know, some freedom on the offensive end to get the ball to the basket in specific situations. But uh, he's got to become a smarter player. Uh, he's got to become a player that, that uh, you know, doesn't just have blinders to the basket, but he gets in a situation and he can find other people. Um, he, I, I, I think it, you know he's really been trying to stay on his feet, even in the minutes that he's played because of you know past injuries. But I, I agree. I think I think he's I think he's built for this game, and I'll, all I think he needs right now is an opportunity to show that on a consistent basis. Subtle little note on him last year: he went. He finished at 63.5% at the rim, which is way, which is much better than he's been. He was his, uh, his last three years were 50, 57 and 39. Now the 39, I think was all because of injury, but to go back up to 64% at the rim, if he's figuring that out, that gives him a chance to go back to being kind of who we thought he might have been before Paul Pierce undercut him and who we thought he might be when you kind of look back at that 14-point-a-game season. Now, we weren't a very good team then, but he's at, you know he's a 14-point-a-game scorer those two years, and he's, he's not entirely efficient, but he's not as inefficient as he had become. So I think there's a chance did, in that regard. Did he shoot a little bit better from the perimeter? Last year? Last year, I don't think he did. Give me a second to look it up. I think that slipped a little bit. But, um, you know, he's a career 35% three-point shooter, and I think that's what he is. The problem is, and this is me and my math, uh, the last two years he's been at 33 and and 33. He's got to shoot it way more. Like, and he's been better about it. But if he's a – let's even say he's just a 33% three-point shooter. That's – a 50% two-point shot. There, there are only four yep. guys in the league that shot 50% on two-point shots that weren't at the rim last year. So the pull-up, the the ball, the not shooting the three, driving into some pull-up jumper has got to go. You're either shooting that three or you're getting to the rim or get rid of it, as you just talked about. Like, eyes yeah. out, get rid of it. But he's not a good mid-range shooter. His career, 10 to 16 feet, is 36%. From 10 to 10 feet out, he's 36%. That's just... 
it's just you can't live that. That's just a bad shot, frankly. I mean, I don't mean yeah. there's no other and, way to talk. And about he's it. just habitually he's habitually used to getting to the basket all the way. Right. That's why you know, he's not great at the mid range shot because you know in his mind he's really going to the basket. Good, keep going, keep going, go all the way to the go all the way basket or get rid of it. All right, final thing for you: How good are they? How good are they? Well, you know, right now they've got to prove that that they've they've taken a step up. Uh, I think they can be very, very good. I, I I think Western Conference Finals good. I think that's the potential they have this year is to be Western Conference Finals good. Um, and you know, based on what we saw last year, that's really all we have to go on. We know the players. Um, but, you know, there's tons of other factors. Uh, the health is one you can't control, obviously, but uh, the other factors are the other teams and how much better they are. And, you know, LeBron in the West now and uh, the Lakers a player, San Antonio, all that stuff that's going on. So I think with all that, uh, with this team, we talk about the advantage of having this team back intact, knowing and, and used to this philosophy. I think you're a step ahead of a lot of teams in this league. So uh, I'm going to say Western Conference Finals, good. Big T, it's always an immense pleasure. I appreciate it. And I'll uh, look forward to chatting with you in the first and third quarters if you'll still be with us. All right, D. I'm looking forward to it, man. Great job as usual. See you, buddy. That is Thurl Bailey. Please send him a thank you at Big T Bailey on Twitter. That's a thank you to Big T Bailey on Twitter. Kevin Pelton is on Lockdown NBA. Kevin Pelton will give a jazz breakdown coming up. I did Nate Duncan's podcast, Dunked on Basketball, uh, for Utah Jazz preview if you need more. We did Real GM with uh, Danny LaRue and Adam Matas on the Northwest Division and did Josh Lloyd's fantasy basketball previews as well. So they're all out there for your Labor Day listening.